Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Many of you have been enjoying this lovely warm weather. Spring is on the horizon, amen. So excited. I want to welcome all of you to Arden first. If this is your first or second time here, we want to say welcome home. This is a place where you can belong, believe, and become. Welcome to everyone watching at Arden at Home Online. Uh, March is a special time for me. I turn a year older every March, so this year I'm hitting the big 4-0. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> biblically, you're considered a young man until you hit 40, so you can't call me young man anymore, so sorry. Um, also, this marks six years of being with you guys, going into the seventh year. So it's been a great time of uh, being with you guys. Thank you. And this past Sunday night, we had a special ordination service where we ordained or reappointed 11 new deacons and one new elder, Tim McElwain. So here's some pictures here. For those of you who weren't able to service, uh, it was just a special time of just commissioning. God is raising an army of new men and women that serve as leaders, and we're just excited what God's doing. He's doing something special in this place, and we're really encouraged by his working in our midst. Today we're going to talk about Satan's hit list. Did you know that Satan has a hit list? And I can't mention the pastor's name, but one of my uh, former pastors, he was contacted by the police department, and he said they had raided a satanic home that had done, you know, like devil worship, all that. And they had a wall of the most influential pastors in the area, and my pastor was on the hit list. They said they were praying against him, and he found himself on the hit list for Asheville. And, you know, the hit list is not something you necessarily want to get on in the human side, right? No one wants to be a target for the enemy. But if you're on the hit list because you're faithfully following Jesus with great passion and purpose, then you just got to trust God's protection, right? So this week, as I was preparing this message, it seemed like I was on Satan's hit list. Um, I basically got sick again this week. I got an eye infection. Don't worry, it's not COVID. It's just cold. I had my eye scratch, just weird. My eye got scratched. And I was getting ready to do a gospel video shoot on Thursday, and I woke up with a bloodshot right eye. And my wife's like, you know, you can't do a video with a red eye. That would send the wrong message, right? So... I'm doing much better today. So in preparing for this list, I felt like I was on I was on the hit list. I remember um, this, this all happened this week. I took my kids to the grocery store, and you know how the aisles intersect. I went to walk across the aisle, and this guy was there, and he looked like he wanted to fight me because I was in his way. And I'm like, wow, this is one of those weeks. Um, so today we're going to talk about what it's like to be on Satan's hit list. How do you get on it? Uh, what does it look like? So we're going to read a passage It's more of a descriptive passage and then prescriptive. But what we're going to do is read it, talk about what it meant, and then apply some practical applications to your life. So let's look in verse 11, and this is a very fascinating passage, by the way. Acts 19, starting in verse 11. It says, Now God worked some unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, And the evil spirits went out of them. So let's pause here. 
I want to bring up some you know, introductory comments. Paul did not have a hanky ministry, okay? You ever seen the televangelist for 1999? You can get a, a special hanky. No, this wasn't what was happening. He, he was dropping the handkerchiefs. People were picking them up, and God was using it. So Paul did not use this as a get-rich-quick scheme. So do not buy the handkerchief online. It, it, it does not work, okay? Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, so this means they were going from town to town, they took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, try to say that seven times fast, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered. So keep in mind, they're casting this demon out, trying to. And the evil spirit speaks out of the person. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them, overpowered them and prevailed against them. So get this. They fled out of that house naked and wounded. The Bible has some interesting stories, right? This became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of them all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Let us pray. Father, what a fascinating passage. And Lord, as we get ready to unpack it, help us to be brought closer to Jesus. Help us to realize that this world, there is a spiritual warfare going on, and it has not changed. It, it is still around us. So Lord, help us to be prepared. Help us to be prayed up. Help us to be ready. Help us to have the word. And Father, we do take a moment to pause for all those in the war in Ukraine right now, Lord. Our hearts go out to every man, woman, teenager, child. God, we know people are dying on both sides, and we just pray that you would somehow intervene, you would somehow send warring angels, and you would send protection that they can't even see in the physical. Lord, do what only you can do when we pray for peace in that situation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to everyone. Again, welcome online. Today we're going to talk about Satan's hit list, and I want to give you three characteristics of what it may be if you're on Satan's hit list. What does it look like? There's one warning and one encouragement. So if you're ready to go, say, let's go. All right, number one, you might be on Satan's hit list if God uses you in unusual ways. So look back at verse 11 and 12, and Dr. Luke says God did some unusual miracles through Paul. Now what's fascinating is the word unusual and miracles, a miracle in and of itself is very unusual. It's when God overrules science, he steps into time, into space, and changes everything. That's why it's a miracle. It's very rare. It's not common. So what does it mean to do an extraordinary miracle? It means that it was a miracle that was kind of out of the norm of normal miracles, if that could be said. God used a sweaty handkerchief from Paul. And what's interesting is these handkerchiefs, these aprons, we studied last week, if you weren't here, you can listen to the message last week. Ephesus is so hot that during 11 to 4 o'clock, they shut down the day back in that day, and they would have a siesta. So it was so hot, and you can imagine Paul, up to that time, most likely still making tents to support himself. So he has, uh, he has an apron, and you know, some of you have cooked, and the apron keeps you 
you know, from getting your clothes dirty. So Paul's wiping his face on the apron or a little handkerchief. He's wiping, he's throwing it down. And it doesn't even say Paul's aware of it, but people are saying, oh, that handkerchief touched Paul. And they're taking it to the sick. And the Bible says that the sick touching the sweaty handkerchief or the sweaty apron are getting healed miraculously. That's why it's an unusual miracle. We are told of other unusual miracles in the Bible. You guys remember of the woman that had the issue of blood? She said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. So she touched the piece of Jesus' clothing and she was healed. In another passage in John, there was a blind man and Jesus made mud and he spit in it and he rubbed it in the guy's face. So that's a very unusual, right? Spit and mud and making this guy whole. We're told in Acts chapter 5 that many people wanted to get in on Peter's shadow so that even if the shadow passed by, they could be healed. We're told in James chapter 5 verse 14 that if there's a sick person, the elders are to anoint that person with oil and the prayer of faith has the power to save the sick. So it begs the question, why would God use physical objects in order to promote faith? Why would he use the hem of a garment? Why would he use a sweaty handkerchief or apron? Why would he use mud in order to heal someone? And we can draw this principle, and I want you to write this down. How many senses have God's given you? Five, and some of you women I hear have six senses, right? So most of us have at least five. So what God often does is works through how he's created us. So I want you to write this phrase down that the physical object serves as a point of contact to release one's faith. The physical object serves as a point of contact to release one's faith. So here's the thing. The object in and of itself is not magical. The object in and of itself does not promote the healing. It's God. And even Dr. Luke says God did miracles through Paul. So here's the thing. There's no magic in anointing oil. There's no magic in the hem of Jesus' garment. What it was is because God made us with senses, God allowed someone to release their faith on a point of contact because we are, we are physical people. Why does God encourage people to lay hands on the sick? Is there any magic in the hands? No. But we, we, are, we are beings that experience things through the five senses. So this person... These people that were healed use that to release their faith. So God even works through things like that. So what I want to encourage you is that God can do unusual things today. Now, it must be said that we are not in the age of the apostles, right? No one here is one of the 12 apostles, right? They, they, they had to see Jesus. They had to be part of him, you know, his ministry. So here's the thing. God did a lot more miracles during the New Testament times. Can't we say that? That's true. We don't see the same level of miracles, the activity one after another like we see then. But God can still do unusual things today. In John 14, and we have this in your listening guide, Jesus said, John 14:12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do, and also greater works works than these he will do because I go to my father and whatever you ask in my name I will do it that the father may be glorified in the son if you ask anything in my name I will do it so it begs the question how can we do greater works than Jesus because his works were perfect last time I checked you can't improve on perfect right so Jesus walked on water he raised the dead Jesus what in the world do you mean that we can do greater works It's not greater in quality, but
But it's greater in these other three things. It's on your listening guide. First of all, size. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, how many followers did he have approximately? Some will say 120. That was in the upper room. But at, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us he appeared at least to 500. So there were at least 500. And it begs a second question. Where were the 380 when the 120 were in the upper room, right? I would want to be part of the 120 praying. So here's the thing. He appeared to this group. Now, as far as people who profess Christ, we don't know whether they're saved or not. Only God knows. But there's about 2.5 billion people that profess faith in Christ. That's a lot larger, right, than 500. So greater in size. We also have greater in scope. Jesus ministered in the area of Palestine, which is a small geographical location. Now, where are people ministering in the name of Jesus? All over the world. So it's greater in size. It's greater in scope. It's also greater in salvation history. Whenever the Bible was being written, then they had the Old Testament. They didn't have a completed New Testament like we have until later. So here's the thing. They, they had parts of the Old Testament. They would hear it at the temple, but they didn't have a book like we have. Most people did not have a copy of God's Word. Now we have the completed 66 books of the Bible. And now we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So here's the idea is that when Jesus said it was better for him to go away, he was saying that he was going to do greater works, greater in size, greater in scope, greater in salvation history. And by the way, anytime someone accepts Christ into their life, that is the greatest miracle that can happen, right? That's greater than someone getting healed from Paul's hanky, someone saved eternally. So here's the thing. You might be on Satan's hit list if you are faithfully following Jesus with great passion and great purpose. Someone say hit list. All right, number two, you might be on Satan's hit list if people try to imitate God's call in your life. How many of you, someone ever tried to copy you in some way? Maybe you're smart and they try to copy your paper at school. Um, if you have kids or grandkids, you may have seen your kids or grandkids copy you. We've got a little video here that shows some copycat kids. I love you. Hi, I love you. Lena, I love you. I love you, Gigi. Uh, thank you. Good sweetie, wake up. Good morning, Mario. He's only eight. Okay. What do you want for dinner? Honey, it's time for dinner. Justin, time for dinner. Eat your dinner, young lady. Eat your dinner. Eat your dinner. Eat your dinner. Eat your dinner. You're being so slow. We're going to be late. Use your mouth shut. Brush your teeth. Give me your phone. Get off your tablet. Clara, can you please go get dressed? You got any meetings today? <laughs> <laughs> so it's cute when a child imitates a parent or grandparent, but what do you say about these seven sons of Sceva? These are grown men trying to imitate someone. Oscar Wilde once said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. So here you have God using Paul so mightily that people are beginning to notice. In fact, even in that day, there were opportunists. You know what an opportunist is? They, they, they seek opportunities to profit off something that sometimes is not always good. So here's the thing. These seven sons of Sceva, they basically decided, you know what? We are going to try to do what Paul is doing. Paul was rescuing people from evil spirits. He was healing diseases. 
So you got to understand in Ephesus, a little cultural background of this, this city, it was kind of like in today's culture, the New Age Mecca. People practice magic. People would try to cast spells. What they would do if someone was demon-possessed, they would try to hire a magician. You know, when we think of magician, we think of David Copperfield. But in that day, a magician was somebody that would try to find out what type of evil spirit was in a person. And these are non-believers, by the way. And they would try to do an incantation. They would try to have uh, physical objects. And they would try to gain control over the spirit in order to cast out the spirit and in turn get a nice paycheck. So that's what these seven sons of Sceva were doing. They were trying to operate in the power of Jesus apart from the name of Jesus, apart from his relationship. So they would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. So here's the thing. Paul had a relationship with Jesus. So he could rightly use the name of Jesus. These seven sons of Sceva, they were not believers. They were phony followers. But you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to attach the God card to something. Have you ever noticed people who try to put the God card on someone? They'll be like, you know, why did you do this? Well, Jesus told me that I should leave my wife because I just don't like her anymore. She doesn't cook good meals anymore. Um, you know, we're just not getting along. Okay, why, why, why did you take out that loan that you can't pay back and, you know, you're in debt and you're about to claim bankruptcy? Well, God just wants me to be happy. Why, why are you talking this way? You, you seem so frustrated and, you know, you seem so out of sorts. And, and you say, well, the Bible says God will not put more on me than I can bear. Really, does the Bible actually say that? That's talking about temptation, right? And we begin to attach the name of Jesus all over the place. And we're like, you know, why are you doing this? Well, God told me. So here's, here's a little practical application. Before you stick the name of Jesus on something, be sure it's actually Jesus. Because there is danger using the name of Jesus on something just to justify what you want to do. Isn't it better just to say, I feel like I'm doing this versus, well, God told me. And sometimes we use the name of Jesus apart from a relationship with Jesus. So whenever we pray in the name of Jesus, I just want to encourage you, it's not a magical formula. When we say at the end of a prayer, in the name of Jesus, what we're saying is we have a relationship with him. And that's why we use the name of Jesus. What we're saying is we are his child so we can come to the Father in the name of Jesus, not as a magic formula, but because we stand in relationship to. So these seven sons of Sceva, they were attaching the name of Jesus to casting out the demons. And what was happening is it wasn't wasn't working the way they planned because Jesus does not want his name to be misused. Amen. So you might be on Satan's hit list. If you are faithfully following Jesus with passion and purpose. All right, number three, another reason why you might be on Satan's hit list, the devil knows you by name. The devil knows you by name. Look at verse 15. And the evil spirit answered, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Now think about how creepy, If you imagine if you heard a demon speak. Wouldn't that really scare, I mean it would scare me. I'd be like, oh, no, 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 I'm not listening. So here, what's interesting about this evil spirit, if you go back to the Greek, and I, w- I want to give you a free resource that's really uh, good to use, blueletterbible.com. You can type in Acts 19.15, and it'll tell you what the Greek words are without knowing Greek. So when, he, when the evil spirit says, Jesus, I know, it uses a Greek word that talks about by experience. I know Jesus personally. 
I have, I've experienced Jesus. And then when he said, Paul, I know, it uses a different Greek word, I know about. So the evil spirit knew Jesus because guess what? God is creator. Guess who made the angels? God did, right? So the Bible says in the book of James, even the devil believes and shudders. Satan believes in Jesus. His demons believe in Jesus, not saving faith, but they know who Jesus is. They know he's the son of God. They know he died and resurrected. They know all the facts. And then he says, Paul, I know about. In other words, I've observed Paul. I've seen him. I, I've watched him do working. But the seven sons of Sceva, the demon, demon asked the question, who, but who are you? These seven sons of Sceva were not on Satan's hit list. Let me give you a few reasons why. They were phony followers. They weren't true believers. Not everyone that attaches the name of Jesus to something actually is a true Christian. You guys know that, right? They were like, Jesus this and Jesus that. They weren't followers. They were doing a lot of religious activity, but they weren't making any true eternal difference. You know, think about a lost person that you cast a demon out of. They're still lost, right? Is that really going to make an eternal difference unless you give them the gospel? This the seven scuns of Sceva were very busy with religious activity, but they weren't on Satan's hit list because they were still part of the kingdom of darkness. They weren't making a difference against Satan. And we see other examples of this. The book of Job, in Job chapter 1, Satan presents himself with the other angels. And the question is, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan knew about Job, right? And he says, the only reason why he's serving you is you protected him, this hedge around him, and you blessed him. Fast forward to the New Testament in Luke 22, Simon, Peter, and the apostles. Jesus told Simon, 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 Satan has asked for you that he can sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So here's the idea behind that all. If you are a Christian... And you seldom get any pushback from the enemy. You've got to ask yourself the question, am I doing anything of eternal impact? Because here's the truth. None of us want to get on Satan's hit list, right? No one would choose that. But if you are making a difference, guess what? Things are going to happen against you, unexplained things. Bizarre things will happen that have no, no rhyme or reason, like no cause and effect. You're like, why is this happening? And oftentimes when you take a step out for God, the enemy comes and he countersteps. He counter punches so here's the thing i want to encourage you god doesn't want us to be lukewarm believers he doesn't want us to be pew sitting saints he wants us to be believers who are on fire for god that are ready to charge hell with a water pistol he wants us to tell every man woman teenager and child about the good news of jesus so here's the thing i want to ask you have you ever been on satan's hit list have you ever done anything to make a difference for eternity so much you feel the kingdom of darkness pushing back? If not, you might want to ask yourself why. All right, so we have three reasons why you may be on Satan's hit list. Now, here's a warning. Number four, the danger of fake invitation. You will eventually be found out. Now, verses 15 through 17 serve as some of the most humorous verses in the Bible. I want to read this to you. I want you to kind of get it. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all the Jews and Greeks dealing in Ephesus. 
So be sure that your sins will find you out. These Jewish businessmen that were trying to make a buck using the name of Jesus, they had it coming to them. What's interesting is they received a smackdown from a demon. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been beaten up before. I've been beaten up once in my lifetime. It wasn't, I I didn't win the fight. When you lose the fight, it's kind of humiliating, right? I was 15, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but got into a fisticuffs with a guy, and he won. And I went home on my bicycle. Uh, I, I actually was 14. My nose was bleeding and really down because I lost the fight, right? I don't recommend fighting, but I lost that fight. But can you imagine getting beaten up by a demon? You're like, well, how does that work? It was a demon-possessed person. And we know from other scriptures that people who are demon-possessed sometimes have superhuman strength. You guys remember in the Gospels, the guy who lived in the graveyard, and they would try to chain him with iron chains, iron fetters, and he would just rip them off. No one could put him in prison. He had superhuman strength. So this guy, this demon-possessed man, was so powerful, he took on seven grown men and overpowered all of them. So what was the outcome of the demonic beatdown? This sounds like a WWF match, right? First of all, they were missing two things. Number one, they were missing their clothes. Now, can you imagine seven men, don't try to visualize it, just imagine, don't imagine, seven grown men running out of a house, stark naked, no clothes. Bible, I mean, that's bizarre. And they were also missing their respect. Notice the scripture says they became a laughing stop. Everyone in Ephesus, which, by the way, the population last week, anybody remember? 250,000. Everyone had heard the story. Hey, did you hear the guys about the seven sons of Sceva? Yeah, they got the demonic beat down. I mean, they ran out of the house naked. And uh, Could you imagine if they were going to do a news report? I know many of you have been watching the news lately with everything going on with the war. Could you imagine? All right, this is live news breaking here in Ephesus. Breaking news now. This is Timothy, and I'm from ABC News. And I just got to report this event. Seven sons of Sceva. They were known as the cast-out crew. They went to Ephesus to a local resident who had been demonized and he, he was salivating at the mouth and they, they tried to cast this demon out. And the next thing he knew, the seven sons of Sceva were overpowered by the demonic and footage is coming into our news station, Bo- videos and photos. But due to the graphic nature of these videos, we cannot show them online, but you can Google them. And at 11 o'clock, we're going to give you more news. I mean, you can imagine the, the laughing stock these people became. So here's, here's the bottom line to, 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 to get is Matthew 7, 21. We're going to throw this on the screen. Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, just because someone has the Jesus card on it doesn't mean they're a follower of Jesus. There's a lot of people that have religious activity, a lot of people that preach in the name of Jesus, teach in the name of Jesus. He says, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Notice people that aren't Christ followers did many miracles in the name of Jesus. Then Jesus will say, I never knew you apart from me, you evildoers. And Jesus, another place said, by their fruits, you'll know them by their fruits. So here's what we can take from the bizarre point is that just be be genuine, be real, because God doesn't like imitations. And I just want to encourage you with this. God only anoints the authentic self. He's not going to anoint you trying to be like someone else. This year I'm celebrating 25 years of preaching. 
started when I was 14, 15. And here's the honest truth. Through the years, I've tried to imitate different people. I'm going to try to be like David Jeremiah. or I'm going to try to be like Charles Stanley. Listen, listen, look here. And, you know, the thing is, God doesn't anoint that. And what I've learned and what I'm learning is God wants me to be myself. Right. And he wants you to be yourself. God only anoints the authentic self out of seven billion plus people in the world. There's nobody like you. And God wants his grace to work in you and he wants his grace to work through you. So learn from these seven sons of Sceva. They were trying to be fake imitations of the real thing. God only anoints the authentic self. And finally, one encouragement. Number five. You might be on Satan's hit list if. And here's an encouragement. God's purposes will prevail in spite of phony followers of Christ. So in verse 17, it says, fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So notice the outcome. A lot of times when you have a fake follower or you have a pastor or leader that has a downfall, you're like, oh, no, people aren't going to get saved. But listen, you're, you're ruling out one thing, God's sovereignty. Look what happens. Even though these people are trying to be. In the name of Jesus, this, in the name of Jesus, that, people still get saved. Look at, the, look at the result. The name of the Lord is magnified. Verse 18 says, many who believed came confessing their deeds. Also, many who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of them all. Now, some commentators point out verses 18 and 19, if you'll look at it, it seems to imply from the Greek that many who had believed, i.e. they were Christians, now they're bringing their magic books so scholars wrestle with that, like how were Christians still having magic books? Why did Christians have to burn magic books? And I think the answer is whenever you get saved, you don't automatically become as spiritual as the Apostle Paul. You know, a lot of times we think someone gets saved and they're going to be as spiritual as you, you fill in your, your favorite leader. It's a process. So some of these believers, they got saved and they realized, man, I've got I to lay aside these magic books. I got to lay aside dealing with the dark side. And you're like, well, do Christians today struggle with that? What do you think? Hello. How many believers do you know say, what is your sign? Listen, do away with horoscopes. That's not godly. Uh, I heard people say, well, this person's they're not a bad witch. They're a good witch. They don't practice black magic. They practice white magic. Listen, anything that allows you to try to get destiny apart from God is you need to throw it away. So stay away from Ouija boards, stay away from signs and horoscopes and all this. Because Christians, believe it or not, can still dabble in things because sometimes it's like, where's God? He's not answering me. Okay, I'm going to go to this person that's going to tell me what I want to hear. Don't do it. So Christians today can struggle and God tells us to cast off the works of darkness. But notice what they gave up. It said the books are worth 50,000 pieces of silver. So if the scholars are right in saying that a silver or a denarius was a day's wage, let's say the average day's wage today is $200. If you multiply 50,000 times 200, how much would that be? How many math? What is it? $10 million, right. Thank you, Amy. She listened to the first service. She had cheat notes. So here's the thing. They gave up up to $10 million worth of things that were occultic. And you're like, that, when, when you hit people's pocketbook, that's when you get real. So these people decided, I'm, I'm giving this up. So let's do a little diving into the text. If you notice in verse 16, it said that the, the, the demonic man prevailed over the seven sons of Sceva. You notice that word prevailed. In verse 20, it's the exact same Greek word, 
prevail. And the idea is in verse number 16, it appears that Satan is prevailing. He's got a whoop up on these you know, Jewish exorcists and he prevailed. Satan's winning. But in verse 20 at the end, what does it say prevailed? It says the word of God did what? It grew mightily and prevailed. So I don't want you to guys to get that. Luke loses the exact same Greek word. When in your life it seems like Satan is prevailing, that word means to have power, more power than, to be more able. When, when it seems like Satan is prevailing, maybe you get the bad doctor's report. Maybe you have a family issue that really haunts you to this day. Maybe 10 years later someone still holds a grudge against you and you've tried to work it out. And you've tried to make reconciliation. It doesn't work. And it seems like the enemy is prevailing. The Apostle John says it like this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So in the end, friends, God will prevail. In the end, God will come through. Amen. So I want to give you some encouragement. As a church, when we apply this to today, if we will be faithful in prayer, if we'll be diligent in the word, and it's not a workspace deal, it's like God living through us. That's the power of the gospel. It's not you trying to be a better version of you. It's not do better, be better, but it's you surrendering your life and letting the power of the Holy Spirit live through you. Not a do better, be better, but God living through me. You know what will happen? The word of God will prevail. The word of God will work in your marriage. The word of God will work in your family. The word of God will work in this church. Amen. So what I, what I visualize at Arden as we look, look ahead, what would happen if the word of God prevailed through all of our lives? I see people driving from other cities. As Joe says, a church alive is worth the drive. I see people being sent out as missionaries and pastors and leaders of this church because the the growth of a church is not so much is in its seating capacity, but in its sending capacity, as J.D. Greer once said. It's not about how many people we can hold. It's how many people we can send. It's how many people we can call out. I see that God is going to work. And I, I want to boil it down to the personal level. Whenever you are changed and wherever I'm changed, it begins to change your family. Whenever families are changed, then it begins to change the church. And whenever the churches are changed, then it begins to change the city. So it starts with you. It starts with the power of God inside of you. So let's review, just a quick review. What does it take or what happens when you end up on Satan's hit list? Not that we want to sign up for it, but what does it usually look like? Number one, God uses you in unusual ways. When God begins to work through you, just a caution, just a warning, you might be on Satan's hit list. And what that means is you're going to need more prayer, you're going to need more covering, because you can't do it on your own. You're going to need God's help. Number two, people try to imitate God's call in your life. And the warning behind that is encourage anyone, yourself included, God only anoints the authentic self. Don't try to be anyone else. God's gifted you uniquely in different ways. The devil knows your name. I know Jesus and Paul I know about, but who are you? One warning, number four. The danger of fake imitation, you will eventually be found out. It's humorous, you know, we have in the South the expression of someone getting ashamed, like it's, they got caught with their pants down, right? Well, this is literally, these guys fled out of the house naked. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. So be careful, don't, don't have fake imitation, you will eventually be exposed. And finally, God's purposes will prevail in spite of phony followers. So the next time we see another person that had a downfall, like, oh no, 
people aren't going to get saved. Oh, no, the church is going to have a black eye. All that we've got to commit to the sovereignty of God. God is bigger than the faults of humanity. Aren't you glad? Because here's the thing. If you follow me, I'll let you down. If I follow you, you'll let me down. But if we follow Christ, if, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. If we are following Christ and we are imitators of Christ as dear children and we live a life of love, then all of a sudden it will make a difference in the world. Amen. So let's summarize this bizarre, interesting, unique passage into one sentence. You might be on Satan's hit list if you are faithfully following Jesus with great passion and purpose. See, here's the thing. If you have great passion, it's going to get noticed. If you have great purpose, it's going to make a difference. So I would encourage you to begin from this day on to follow with passion and purpose every day of your life. A few applications as we close. What does that look like? Well, I think one application is stop being a casual Christian. You know, the world is full of of people that are just casually coming to church, casually showing up, casually leaving. You notice those type of people don't make a big difference in the lives of others. Jesus told the church, I believe it was Laodicea, if I remember the right church, he said, listen, you are lukewarm. Because of that, it makes me want to throw you up. I wish you were hot or cold, not lukewarm. So don't be a casual, lukewarm Christian. Let God set you on fire. Number two, start following Jesus with a renewed sense of passion and purpose. Well, how do I do that? As I mentioned, this is not a can-do, be-do sermon. It's allow the power of the Holy Spirit to live through you. If you allow, if you just get out of God's way, which by the way, God's more powerful than anything you can imagine, but if you allow him to work through you, say, God, I'm not going to hinder your work. I'm not going to quench your spirit. God will work. And also take a next step. If you look on your listening guide, I list six next steps. I'm not going to go into all those. But we're going to have an upcoming baptism. We've got uh, two different adults we're talking to that are ready to get baptized. If you've been a Christian but you've never been baptized, we want to encourage you as we look forward to Easter and the Holy Week and the, the Sundays up to that, we want to have some baptism. So sign up for baptism and allow God to do a mighty work in you and through you. A little preview for next Sunday. Dr. David Bruce is going to be joining us. He's one of Arden's favorite speakers as a guest. And uh, this guy, for those of you who don't know him, he was Billy Graham's pastor at the Billy Graham Training Center, his personal pastor there. And he's just going to bring an encouraging word next week. So I encourage you to come, bring a friend, and hear from Dr. David Bruce. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And God, we are sorry, Lord, as Christians. We are sorry for the times we've been casual the times we've been cavalier, the times we haven't taken this seriously, that this world, there's a spiritual warfare going on. And we see it in in our own eyes, just in the war, what's going on in Ukraine. We see the warfare. And we know that the struggle is not against flesh and blood. The struggle is against these demonic principalities and powers that move people to kill, that move people to do wrong. So, God, we we just want to pray in our own battles. We may not be in a full-out war, but we have spiritual battles. We have the enemy coming against us. And God, as believers, we have to confess the sin of being lukewarm. For those of us who struggle with that, just tell God. He already knows. Say, God, you know I'm a little lukewarm. Help me to have that passion and purpose. Help me to follow you with this passion, Lord. And help me have this sense of purpose, Lord. As the believers continue to pray, there may be someone here today that you've never accepted Jesus. Every week we give the wonderful opportunity to accept the gospel and you're like what is the gospel the gospel is that jesus died for your sin 
The gospel is that he didn't just stay dead. He rose the third day. And if you're willing to place your faith in Christ alone, if you're willing to say, God, I believe and I'm willing to turn from my sin, you can say a prayer of faith. And the Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So right where you're at, whether here in person or watching at home, if you've never called upon the name of the Lord, do right now to say, dear God, I need you to save me. Dear God, I I do believe the gospel that Jesus did die for me, that Jesus did rise again, and he defeated sin, he defeated death. But Jesus, I need you to come into my life. I need you to defeat sin in my life. Please forgive me. Please forgive me of all my sins. Please step out of heaven and make my heart your home. I make you my Lord and Savior. I choose to follow you. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, please let us know so we can celebrate with you and give you some next steps. Father, we love you. Bless all the people here worshiping in person and online. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen.